morning in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman and this is Out of Line. We are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio. 98.9 FM and 1340 AM flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio that we also includes social media director Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. And producer Chris Magnum Chapman who aside from producing several shows here at Lotus Broadcasting, also is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. We are also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and Twitch. The page is called Outline. That's O U T T A L I N E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Outline Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Illuminate Home Loans Studio Line is seven zero two eight seven six thirteen forty. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Luminate Home Loans. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Luminate Home Loans is the company to turn to for all of your home financing needs. Call 702-964-5720 for details and to get information on all of the home financing options currently available in the state of Nevada. On Tap, the Vegas Golden Knights Cup defense starts now. So does the NBA Finals. We got MLB League Divisional Series going on around the country and Monday Night Football just around the corner in our backyard. That's what's on tap if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own. Choose a company you can trust, Luminate Home Loans and the Galindo Legends. Call 702-964-5720 for details on your home financing options. Vegas Golden Knights. Wrap up the preseason, and that's what Nightcap's all about today. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, the Vegas Golden Knights wrapped up the uh, preseason last, I shouldn't say last night, it was yesterday afternoon in Los Angeles against the Kings. And uh, another comeback win the last two games. As a matter of fact, we're both in comeback fashion. Um, they win 7-4, to four, and uh, they end up uh, going 3-3 three and three in the preseason. Again, I always say it's not indicative of how they'll play in the regular season. The difference with the preseason in the NHL as opposed to, say, the NFL is as you get closer to the season, more of your players play. Where in the NFL, the last game of the season, none of your players play as you're getting down to final cuts. None of the major guys do anyways. Well, last night you probably saw the majority of the guys you're going to see open up on Tuesday night at the T-Mobile Arena. 
And a couple guys missing. I'm sure people noticed that. Uh, you missing Alec Martinez and also uh, Zach Whitecloud. Zach Whitecloud, undisclosed surgery. He is listed as week to week. And um, Alec Martinez dealing with something, not sure of it. Missed the last couple of preseason games. But as far as we know, he could very well be in the lineup on um, Tuesday night. I think Ben Hutton has earned his way onto the lineup. As, uh, will be the first guy in if one of the top six defensemen can't get in. And I think also Pahal has really uh, cemented himself as the guy after Hutton. So you're about eight deep now with defensemen. As far as guys up, uh, you know, playing forward and what's going to go on, um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I know that uh, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights were active right up until the end. Uh, the Florida Panthers, if you didn't know, lost their 2018 first-round pick, Gregorio Denisenko. I think it's, what is it, Denisenkov? Denisenko? Is that the way you pronounce it? Grigory Denisenko. Denisenko, yeah. yeah. I, know he, I know he played uh, last year. I remember, I remember the guy playing against the Vegas Golden Knights at the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, so he is uh, going to be part of the team. He was claimed off of waivers by the Go- Vegas Golden Knights. And coincidentally, um, again, the final game for him was with the Panthers. Uh, and I should say and that was in Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final in Las Vegas. Florida paced a number of their players on waivers Friday with the hope that they would clear and report to their AHL squad in Charlotte, North Carolina. Denisenko didn't, so he will be reporting to the Golden Knights and be placed on their opening roster. Chris, does he start the season as a Golden Knight? Does he come right in? And, uh, well, he has to. In order in order for the waiver claim to go through, the Golden Knights would have to place him on the active roster. So They can't scratch him? I mean, they could scratch That's him, what I'm saying. but, he but be, he, yeah. he's got to be up with the big club. Um, he can't be sent down the Henderson. So, um, yeah, I know that. Now I'm after, saying, what after, do you think you think it'll be scratched or do you think? He'll no, I think they'll scratch him. I mean, it's going to take him a couple of days to probably get up. He's probably already, if not here already, on his way here. Um, but what that means is it probably means that Max Comtois probably will not make the Golden Knights roster. Um, I'm not sure what what they're going to do. Um, but that also means competition for Paul Connor and Pavel Dorfeev because. He's a winger, and he's a guy that he, his his mo coming into the league was that he was a scorer. So um, it's a classic move by the Golden Knights. Their 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 type of player and their type of uh, move that they've been very successful at. So we'll see. Um, you know, there's no rule that says they have to keep him, but they can't send him down to Henderson. So he he's either here or he's not. And I think the Golden Knights are probably going to take a flyer and see if if they can get. The guy was a was a first round pick. I think it was fifteenth or yeah. something overall. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of there was a lot of hype coming into uh, the career for this guy. So we'll see. I mean, I'm gonna be it, it, like I said, it's a classic George McPhee, Kelly McCrimmon move, a kind of under the radar, a guy who never really hit his potential. You get him on a second opportunity, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, you come here with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, and uh, and again, I I thought it was a really good move by them. Like you said, they they slide in there; they are sneaky with these picks. And this is a guy that did play in the Stanley Cup final, has plenty of experience. And the two guys you mentioned in Cotter and Dorofiev, those guys were not playing in the Stanley Cup final or in the playoffs for that matter. And this guy was so chances of him being on the ice before those guys is probably 
pretty good. Um, you know, last season, uh, you know, the power play, I think when you're looking at what can be improved on from last season, probably the power play a bit. bit. They were in the middle of the pack, 20.3%, 18th in the National Hockey League. Uh, they scored 42 power play goals last season. That was 25th in the NHL. But you saw them pick it up in the playoffs. The percentage went up by over 1, 21.9, almost 22%, which was 8th in the NHL in the playoffs. But they scored 16 power play goals, which tied them for 2nd in the NHL. Obviously, they're going to score a lot of goals when they get all the way to the final. But still, that is an area they can, they can uh, I think, improve on. But other than that, I think that uh, you're going to see um, the Golden Knights come out and not so much with a chip on their shoulder, but this team is not going to let down. I think everybody on this team wants to compete. And, it, you know, from what you hear, you just listen to them talk. They are so enthusiastic about getting back on the ice, even though it's been their shortest offseason ever. They've got a chance to repeat. And uh, this is a team that I think is built to make another run for the Stanley Cup. This is their window right now. And I think, you know, if Aiden Hill um, can can pick up where he left off last year, that's going to be huge. They need to get back, you know, everyone, get everyone healthy. And the key is in any professional sport is staying healthy. And that's going to be the biggest challenge. Last year, they were relatively healthy. And the guys that had been unhealthy in previous seasons, guys like Jack Eichel, guys like Mark Stone, at the time they needed them most when the postseason came around, both those guys were ready to go. And it was pretty cool in the respect that you saw both of them take some pretty severe hits. Hell, you saw Stone take one this year in the preseason against the Kings. But I, last year, that hit Jack Eichel took. I think Las Vegas in general held its collective breath like what is going to happen now, knowing the history and especially the back problems that, that he has had in the past and the surgery he endured. And yet uh, Jack Eichel played great. He got up from that. And as a matter of fact, the guy that hit him suffered a lot more than he did. And uh, it worked out pretty good. I think uh, I I'm looking forward to it. The Golden Knights start their regular season on Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m. at T-Mobile Arena. Once again, they started the season last year against the Seattle Crack, and they do it again. Um, you know, very interesting this year. 82 games, I'm going to say the Golden Knights are going to win 63 games this year. That is a very bold statement, but I think they're the win or, or get to overtime in 63 games this year for the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll see what happens. I like what I'm seeing. I think that uh, I think we've all learned that you don't question anything that Kelly McCrimmon or George McPhee do anymore. I think that uh, we all should kind of get on that bandwagon and understand these guys have great hockey minds and they have put the right pieces in place. And I think Bruce Cassidy was the perfect coach at the perfect time. And if there was a team geared to, geared to repeat right now, it would be the Golden Knights. I mean, they're kind of sliding into where Tampa Bay left off, and this team is becoming, or had, they've been for a while, they've been one of the better teams in the National Hockey League. But um, I put my money on them again. I think they're pretty good. Spence, I'll bring you in now with the, with the uh, Las Vegas Aces. They're going to the finals again. The WNBA Finals. They could be the first team to repeat as WNBA champions, I think, since the L.A. Sparks did it back when Lisa Leslie was on the team in like 2000 and 2001. It's been forever. But this Aces team, Asia Wilson, obviously the catalyst that makes this team go. But right now, they've got four Olympians on this team. They've got someone in Kelsey Gray who has really cemented herself as one of the most solid players in the league, a, a woman that just absolutely steps up in the biggest moments. And then you've got a backcourt of Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young, arguably the best backcourt in the WNBA. But 
the team they are going up against, if there was a team that could pose them problems, this is a team. They are dead even if you've looked when they played each other, two and two against each other in the regular season. They lost the Commissioner's Cup uh, championship to the Aces. Supposed to be a neutral site, but it ended up being here in Vegas. But then again, the Aces beat them in the preseason game this past year. So they're three and three total against each other. What do you think happens in the WNBA Finals? I don't know, but, uh, you know, it'll be a good game. You know, it's just something that I'm going to enjoy watching. I had a great time watching it last year, especially with my parents. When they saw that when they won the championship, it was a kind of a, it was a real special moment. But, uh, you know, these are very evenly matched teams. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. But I think that overall, no matter what happens, this is great for the WNBA, especially a team like New York. And, you know, I'm around a little bit of, like, New York Twitter a little bit. And at least it seems like people around there are excited about it. These are just things that we're not used to in the WNBA. You know, it's been a long time developing this league. Uh, so it's cool to see that there's some excitement. You know, for the long time, the only discourse you saw in the WNBA was all just, like, very, very negative. You know, it's like, this is women's basketball. It's not interesting. No one cares. And now I'm starting to see that there is a genuine interest in this. And I don't think INSU could have gone to a better team than New York when it comes to at least the branding for the WNBA. I have no real prediction for tonight. I'm just going to be, a, you know, a fan watching the game, I guess, is the, probably the best way I can say that. Because I feel like anybody who says they know definitively it's going to happen today is probably lying. Yeah, you know, you can't know what's going to happen. I, you give the edge to the home crowd. I mean, Michelob Ultra Ali, Arena is going to be sold out. It's, and it gets it, loud in there, too. It, it without question does. Vegas has always done it upright. That is going to, you know, it's going to help the Aces, for God's sakes. The louder it is, the better they're going to play. Uh, you know, it, it's going to fire them up. But this team really is a tough team. Sabrina Nescu, as you talked about, Spencer, the best perimeter shooter, I think, in the WNBA. I mean, this woman can hit from anywhere. She has tremendous range. She also plays decent defense and somebody that's pretty good. Brianna Stewart, the MVP of the league this year. A lot of people have some issues with that because Asia Wilson arguably had her best season in her career. She's won two NBA, two MVPs before. She doesn't win it this year, and I think everyone's still pissed off about that. fourth. She was picked fourth by one of the judges, and we've already talked about the person's an idiot. Uh, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, she is the face of the WNBA. But, you know, Brianna Stewart, it's hard to argue with her. Um, and John Quell Jones, I mean, to me, she poses the biggest problem for the Las Vegas Aces because of her, her, her mere physical presence, man. Under the hoop, she is one of the most immovable forces in the WNBA. And the Aces really no, have nobody to combat that. That, to me, is probably the biggest problem. If Candace Parker somehow, miraculously, with her broken foot, is able to play in the finals. I don't know how effective she'll be, but at least it's a big body that can get out there and play on John Quell Jones because that's going to be, to me, the biggest problem for the Aces. Yeah, I mean, these teams have very similar philosophies in the run and gun. I mean, I feel like there's going to be a lot of scoring. I'd be shocked if this was a defensive battle between the two. From what I remember, I don't think e any of the matches I've had so far were like low-scoring games. They're, you know, they're get out in the fast break. They're shooting three points. These are just things that, like, are innovating the WNBA. It feels like all the other teams are very far behind. You're seeing this in the NFL, too. All the top coaches are, you know, running these offenses that other defenses just simply can't handle. We said going into the season, these are the two best teams in the WNBA, and it's just a fact. They are because they do play so much faster and so much better than everyone else on the court. No, they really do, and uh, it's going to be an exciting game. I mean, you've probably, you, you without question have the two most talent-laden teams in the 
WNBA and some of the most dynamic and exciting players to watch. Asia Wilson is just so dominating on either end of the floor, and yet you've got someone like Brianna Stewart who is capable of neutralizing her to a degree. And again, Jacquel Jones to me is going to be the biggest problem. The Aces are just going to have to, you know, you're going to have to give up some space to her on the inside. The key is, is how well they move the ball around the perimeter, get those shots, and Asia Wilson just has to be her active self on both ends of the floor. I don't think the Aces lose a five-game series to anybody, but I could definitely see this series going five games. And I don't think anyone would mind that as long as the Aces come out on top. At least around here, nobody would mind it, you know, mind it if they do. Um, again, that uh, first game, game one of the WNBA Finals today, 12 noon our time at Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay Event Center. Definitely check it out. I'm going to be there, man. They're, they're sold out, but you never know. There's ways of getting tickets. Uh, Spencer, go right to it because I've been wanting to talk about this one for a little while. And it is something that um, I think you'll all get when I say it. I don't mean to rip on this person, but um, this has been this has been his forte throughout his Major League Baseball career. So we're going to go right to fact this. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. It is a fact. Clayton Kershaw will go down in history as one of the greatest all-time Dodger pitchers and will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. This is in spite of the fact that for the most part, he has sucked in the playoffs. And last night, game one of the NLDS was his worst performance ever. He lasted one-third of an inning and gave up six runs on nearly 40 pitches Here's Bob Costas and Ron Darling, who were on the call for Fox in the top of the first inning shortly before Kershaw got the hook. Almost defies logic. Clayton Kershaw's regular season numbers, all of them, his whole resume is immaculate. And in the postseason, while he has had some brilliant outings, he just hasn't been the Clayton Kershaw that we know during the regular season. Yeah, it's messy at times. You know, I think he suffered from early in his career. He was so great, the Cy Youngs and MVPs, that his day had to be the day that they won each and every time. That didn't come to pass. And now that, I can't say he's more hittable, because if you look at the numbers, he's not more hittable. But certainly, this stuff is not what it used to be. Most fastball used to be in the mid-90s. Now it barely touches 90. The curveball used to be devastating. It's more hittable now, and he doesn't rely on it as much as he once did. He's a different pitcher, but he's been able to figure out a different way to be effective until we get to October. And that's what I'm talking about. It is October. It's the postseason for Clayton Kershaw. And to me, this even further waters down the World Series they won in 2020 during the pandemic when the Major League Baseball season was only 60 games. And Clayton Kershaw pitched well in the postseason. But every year when he has to go through an entire 162-game season, get all the starts that he normally gets, he's bad in the postseason. He wears out. And he's worn out his entire career, even when he was much younger. You heard Costas talk about the fastball doesn't quite have the jump it used to. He doesn't rely on the curveball as much as he used to. You know, he has to use a variety of pitches and use his wisdom of being in the major leagues for so long and pitching for so long. He is a great pitcher. Matter of fact, he is an exceptional pitcher, one of the best. But 
you're defined by what you do in the postseason, by how many championships you win. Yes, all-star games play a part in that for sure, but he's won one World Series with this team. And as a matter of fact, he's probably part of the reason they haven't won two or three World Series because he lets them down. And last night was just indicative of what this guy does in the postseason. It hurt him. It, it hurt the Dodgers. I mean, right, right off the get-go, you're, you're a six-game deficit in inning one against a team you should be able to wipe the walls with. They have owned the Arizona Cardinals. Excuse me, the, 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 um, you know, they've owned Arizona. They've owned the Diamondbacks from day one. And here they are right now in a hole. And that was a beating. I mean, that was an absolute beatdown until, like, I think, what, the seventh or eighth inning they were getting shut out? The Braves got shut out. I'm still blown away about that. We'll talk about that in a second. But, Spencer, what do you do to right the ship against something like that? Is that just one game and you put it behind him? Because now the Dodgers basically have to win three out of four games to move on. Well, yeah, I mean, some guys' careers are just defined by something like this. Think about Chris Paul. What is his biggest deficit? In the playoffs, he always gets hurt. And he does, like, every single time. You know, it's unfortunate, but it's part of the game. You know, it's just... Clayton Kershaw pitches so hard. And I wrote an article about this like five years ago or something like during the pandemic talking about Clayton Kershaw. And I really dug into the numbers and you're hundred percent right during the COVID year. He was so good because he played like half a season and that's when he's in his best form. So I don't know. It's just his pitching style. This is just how it ends up being for him. This is what he's done his entire career. It is unfortunate, but the Dodgers are in trouble. And I think when you think about a postseason run, you can win a lot of games in the regular season, which of course they're very good at. But they have a really big problem at pitching, and not just Clayton Kershaw. Their rookie pitchers have played better than their veteran pitchers this year. I mean, that's just something that just sounds ridiculous to say out loud, but that's just how it is. That's how it's been. Their bats have been so good this year that they're able to cover up a lot of these things. But it's baseball playoffs, obviously. This is when people get interested in baseball because this is when it seems like the baseball season really starts. No, no question about it. It's uh, it's it's right now. I mean, for me. I, I just realistic 162 games a lot of games man I always watch opening day I'm always interested in opening day I try to catch a Tigers game I always watch the all-star game I love the midsummer classic I think of the four major professional sports in the United States the midsummer classic the baseball all-star games always been the premiere of the all-star games and then I watch the postseason I'm, I'm addicted to baseball's postseason I love it I was dialed in yesterday you got back to back to back to back games it was cool as hell um, and all the underdogs except for of course the Houston Astros uh, lost or won yesterday really surprising uh, Baltimore Orioles they have this epic season and then Texas just goes in there and shuts them down and what about the Braves I mean are you kidding do you know the Braves this entire season, Spencer? I don't know if you know it. They have not been shut out at home this entire season. And they get shut out at home yesterday, um, which is which is mind-blowing by the Phillies. Now, the Phillies pretty good, but the Phillies used a combination of pitchers. Even a guy, a rookie, that, that never even saw a major league field till like September 26th came in and got him through an inning. Um the Phillies used everybody, and I love the Phillies because they've got a couple of Vegas boys in their team now playing really well. Bryce Harper, man, this guy plays so well up against the Braves, but he is a postseason player. And, you know, it's so cool that Bryce Harper is living up to all the hype that he was getting before he ever joined the league when he was out of Las Vegas, went to CNN, or excuse me, a CSN, went to CSN, and then goes to the Washington Nationals. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, it's going to be Mike Trout's a better player than Bryce Harper, this and that. 
that. Well, as times goes on, the cream rises to the top. Not that Mike Trout's not an exceptional baseball player, but Bryce Harper is beyond special, and we saw that yesterday. And then, how about Stott, man? A kid, a kid out of right, right here out of Vegas. I think what um, Desert Oasis High School, and here he is pl- hitting the first Grand Slam this, since another Las Vegas uh, native, Victor, um, uh, Shane Victorino, hit a Grand Slam in the postseason. Two people have done it. They're both from Vegas. You gotta love this guy, Bra- Brayson Sp- Stott, as well. He's a hell of a player. Second baseman doesn't look like a really big guy, but they say the pop in his bat is as good as guys twice his size. Well, here's the thing. I mean, talk about look. Just look how excited you are talking about baseball. Baseball is a great sport. I fell in love with baseball when I was a kid. And now, like, we don't, none of us watch, or not, I should say none of us, none of us are avidly watching baseball on a nightly basis. That means there's something wrong intrinsically because we all get excited watching playoff baseball. Baseball is a good sport, and yet here we are. We're only now getting interested in it. That means there's something flawed very deeply within the MLB (laughs) system. That means that we're not watching this because... It sounds so cool. Everybody gets so excited, you know, going up to bat. These things are all great. And, you know, here we are now just now being like, okay, let's talk about all these guys that happened during all those 160 baseball games. I'm not even going to pretend to know what the hell that word he just said was. What was it? Intrinsically? Oh, intrinsically? Intrinsically, yeah. I, I'm not smart enough to know what the hell. You're the, you're the school teacher, so I defer to you on the, the big whiz. words. Yes, the whiz. But you're right. I mean, I, I love baseball. I generally will keep it on as background noise. Because I'd much rather have that on as background noise than some of the other crap that's on television. So, um, unfortunately, I don't have the package because my team is on the East Coast and I would miss a majority of their game. So, I, I wouldn't pay for it. But I generally have the Angels on and they stink. So, unfortunately, you're right. We, 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 we kind of pat. First of all, I think I would never say the season is too long. It is too long. But I'll it is it. too long, yeah. <laughs> no, it's crazy because it's so traditional that I agree with you, Chris. It's, like, hard to say that it's too long. And you know what? It's he, baseball. Here's the other thing. Interleague has run its course. Interleague baseball doesn't need to we, – we don't need interleague baseball. You know, I agree. You know, it is the tradition the, – the two traditional things about baseball that I've always loved that – matter of fact, I'm going to go three that I've always loved about professional baseball. One, let's go back to the All-Star game. Every player wore their own uniform. I thought that was the greatest thing yeah. about Major yep. League Baseball All-Star game. And they've changed and, it. And they've changed it. Now they wear their own hat like football. They wore the helmet. Yeah. Dumb. I, I Dumb. understood in football because you get, you get killed out there. Even though they, moder- they modified – the rules so people don't get killed. You got to put the same uniforms on them in football. Yeah, but and in hockey the same, same thing. thing. They, yeah. You know, but but in baseball, it, it, there's no reason for it. That was a, the appeal to the game. So that was the one thing that I thought they changed. The other thing that 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 um you know that I thought that they they, sh- they should have changed was you play 162 games. You get to the playoffs. Years ago, there was only four teams that would make it. And to me, that was so insane to play so many games. And then I thought when they finally expanded it, you go to the you go to the wild card games, and it's a one game. It's not the NCAA flipping tournament. Baseball is a different game than that. Yes, you know, you can anybody can win on a game. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta but but like I just, if you're a team that that has like a an ace pitcher, you have to really use some some serious strategy if you're only in a one game playoff because you you don't want to use that guy 
and then get into a best of five and not have them no, available but, for the first two games. I agree, but that was my point is I thought you got to have three games. You got to give – and this year they gave them three games for the first time and everyone swept. And it was the road teams in, in, in half the cases, which was pretty cool. But I thought you did it to make it a three-game series. And the reason – I you know I've, I argued with a few friends over this the past couple days. The reason it's not a five-game series, it is just too long. You can't start going into December playing baseball. Uh, they're going to have to build retractable domes in every state if you did that. It already goes too late. October was almost too late. Now we get into November. It's got at somewhere you've got to cut cut the corner. Well, I think where you where you cut the corner is you cut the regular season. I would agree. You cut it from 162 to 144 like, or something yeah, like, like, like that. Like, even 150, even take 12 more games. You know, off. And, that'll and, keep you in October. And like least. I said, you 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 don't we interleague is a weird thing. Like just the way it's set up. Like sometimes you you play this team at home, but then you don't play them on the road. It's just kind of, I mean, I understand why they do it, but I, I I mean, look, if I'm an Angels fan, I'm not clamoring to see the Pirates. I'm not clamoring to see the Nationals. No, you're right, and that, well, that I want to see I want to see more of my rival. That was the other traditional thing I was going to say. The two things, the two big things that that they've changed that I hate. The interleague play, I always loved it. As a kid, I loved it because, like, I was in West Bloomfield, Michigan, and we had West Bloomfield, Farmington Hills, and they would be like all National League teams. We would be like all American League teams. And then the, at the end, you would play your, the winner of your league would play the league. And yeah. it was so exciting for a kid to do that. And it rivaled what we saw in Major League Baseball. Now they've taken that away from it. But the other thing, and I understand they wanted to even the playing field, no pun intended, the designated hitter in the National League. It bothers the hell out of me. That is, you know, th- that's the old school league. That's th- that's what we've just expected. I understand it wasn't fair because National League players did not put regular DHs on their team. They they always had guys that could come in and play. You know, you rarely would employ a pinch hitter in the National League to play once every couple of games. But in the American League, you were employing DHs. This way, they figured they could employ more people in the National League, but they also, even the fla- playing field in the respect that National League would also carry uh, you know, DHs. I understand you don't really like seeing pitchers bat. Most of them are pretty weak hitters. You don't get a lot of guys like John Smoltz that can actually bat over 200 for a career. Usually you're not going to see that. But it was still part of the tradition of the game. That's what I loved. National League and American League, you only see them meet up in this World Series and the DH thing. Maybe you should go back to it on either side where you don't have a DH. But again, the DH has extended a lot of guys' careers, maybe three, four, five years longer than they would have been able to play if they weren't DHs. You know, as a National League guy, a guy who roots for the National League team, I I don't like the DH. I hate it. It's it's I, it, I've never liked it. First of all, but I like it a lot less now that there's a, the National League has now incorporated the DH. I I think this is baseball trying to get in touch with a younger fan base because look the reality is they're not watching the games um you know the, the the thing is they incorporated some new rules this year and I think they were they were successful you had the bigger bases and of course it leads to Ronald Acuña and his 40-70 season yeah, right. um look that guy probably would have stolen 70 bases if the if the base was the size of a postage stamp uh, 100% and then the pitch clock which which was fantastic Next, we're going to see probably automated balls and strikes like we see in, in minor league baseball, which I think works really well. And, you know, Jim Gemma and, and Russ Langer could probably tell you a little bit more about how well it works than I can. But it, 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 
I, I, there's nothing worse than officials and refs and umps who are completely making up their own rules. And Angel Hernandez is one of those buffoons who does that. So, you know, automated balls and strikes, perfect. Take, take, get, get idiots like that and take the game out of their hands. You just got to get a robot to come and dust the plate off. No, they, they can still use Angel for that. But <laughs> he can yeah, stand he can off to the side and dust yeah. the blade off. Yeah, yeah but like, that's what he's you know, the, there, there's always been that interpretation, and we've always seen that that strike that strike three called on a ball that's like three inches off the plate. Ah, uh, it did. And, and you're just, it eliminates the, the human error element. And look, that's, that's, what, that's what replay's been all about anyway, eliminating. Well, that's, that's what we want. You know, we, we, we don't, we're, we're sick of watching teams get screwed because, like, Think think about if there was instant replay when that little punk, who's now a grown punk, Jeffrey Meyer, screwed the Baltimore Orioles way back in the mid-90s when he basically jumped onto the field to catch a home run by Derek Jeter, essentially sending the Baltimore Orioles into a tailspin it took him 30 years to recover from. If there was it, first of all, if that happens at any other stadium, that kid's ejected. But because it's the Yankees and it's Yankee Stadium, they paraded the little idiot around on it like like he won the World Series. Like I'm, I I think he was actually part of the ticker tape parade when they won the World Series that year. They had him on the on the on the float with with Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter. But I'm I'm making all of that up, obviously. <laughs> but you know, instant replay in baseball is great as long as they get it right. That's all we want. That's all we want in the NFL. Get it right. I agree with you. You know, the one one other thing that I don't like. And this is like, it's turning baseball into powder puff. I cannot stand these damn sliding gloves. I mean, to me, it's the most awkward, stupid thing in it's the like, world. It's, it's like they're it's, taking a pizza out of the I, oven. I, seriously, they're wearing mitts. We're wearing oven mitts now yeah. to slide bases. You know, can you, you know, th- it, that drives me insane. That's one thing. And and what you're talking about too, Chris, that, the you know, can you imagine, you know, where you've got to have the automated, you've got to be able to, like you said, the sensor for strikes and balls because you can't argue it. You get thrown out of the game if you argue the count. Can you imagine if they had that rule? back in the 70s and 80s where you get thrown out of a game for arguing pitch counts. Billy Martin, Whitey Herzog, and Earl Weaver would have never made it through a nine-inning game if they couldn't argue pitches. Can you imagine telling Billy Martin you can't argue with the ump over balls and strikes? I mean, those guys would have never taken it. Steinbrenner would have come out of the box at Yankee Stadium to argue with an umpire over a call. You know, I mean, the, the bottom line is you can't... T- I don't like that, that you can't argue balls and strikes. And if you're not going to be able to argue balls and strikes, and you've got to make it where there is a sensor where, hey, you got a box and the ball's got to be in the box and it's a strike. If it's outside, it's a ball. I agree with that. Um, really quickly, to just to end the, the baseball story, the Houston Astros, man, are worrying the hell out of me again. I, I, I'm tired of this team, although I love Justin Verlander. I love Justin Verlander's wife. But I would love to see Houston get bumped again. And, you know, it's funny. All the underdogs win. Everyone wins. The Twins finally win a couple of playoff games and move on in a series after all these years. And yet Houston can't comply and be another favorite to go down. They've got to lose. I I, I don't know what I'm going to do if I see the Houston Astros win another World Series, man. I am so tired of that team. Hey, listen. I like Dusty Baker, I do. Not just because he's T.C. Martin, our buddy's friend. I like Dusty Baker. I liked him when he was a player. I think he's a hell of a manager. I think he's won enough. I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to move on and see someone else. I just hope we can see all kinds of underdogs. Obviously, I'm pulling a little bit for the Phillies because of all the Vegas connections there. But I would love to see like a Phillies-Diamondbacks uh, 
NLCS, and I love to see on the other side. I don't care whether it's the, Bo- the Orioles or the Rangers, but even though the Twins are in the Tigers division, I would still would like to see anybody just take out the Houston Astros and see them be done with that. Spencer, I've wanted to again, the Raiders. I've been chomping at the bit to hear your take on the Raiders since last week in the Chargers game. Another game that I thought they could have won that they didn't. Another game that I thought that Josh McDaniel was severely outcoached. I'm starting to think that guys could, uh, that, that you could take a player and they could coach better than him. I'm sorry I'm being so brutal right now, Spencer, but even in today's paper, you can see in the special Raiders section, they have a big picture of Rich Pisaccia and the players, because you know, he is this Packers, the Packers special team coordinator and assistant head coach in Green Bay right now and so there's an article about him in the paper today you can see it in the special section of the review journal my god in heaven I mean this guy Spencer you know I don't I'm, I've never been one in favor of firing coaches in midseason I think it's almost like an embarrassment to them and I just I it's like you know fire the person in the middle of their job I, I think this guy's done man I mean he continues to make mistake after mistake and I wish we had it from what I last week we didn't get to play when I got to talk to Josh um, Jacobs in the locker room after that loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers and I asked him you know about when Josh McDaniel decided to kick a field goal with about three minutes to go in the game at the seven-yard line instead of going for it on fourth down, when either way he was going to need another touchdown, either to tie the game if he didn't get the touchdown, then you'd still need a touchdown and two-point conversion, or they kicked the field goal, they were going to need a touchdown to win the game. I didn't understand it. Josh Jacobs was very, very quiet and did not want, really want to talk a great deal about it. But what he had said after the game is, and when I asked him about that call, he goes, Look, looked down and barely spoke. It was like a whisper. I guess we were trusting our defense. That you could hear. And then in the paper, you hear guys like Josh Jacobs, like some of the other players, like Max Crosby, talking about their relationship still to this day with Passaccia, that they call him and the respect they have for him. You rarely see the, the, the interim tag get taken off a coach and him get the job. Usually it's a coach being fired. It's an interim guy waiting until they hire someone at the end of the season to start the next season. That happened. That was the case here with Mark Davis hiring Josh McDaniel. I think he made a mistake. I think he acknowledges that mistake and moves on quickly before this team just completely is is just terrible. I don't know. I I, I genuinely don't agree with you at all. First of all, he was not out coached last week at all. Brandon Staley coached a terrible game, going for it on fourth down and all that kind of nonsense. And the reason that's why a new, I say that's a new norm. Yeah, but take a look at this. There is a. A point late in the game, they're down two scores. They could have kicked a field goal, right? And he decided not to. He punts them. He pins them. The defense gets a stop. They punt it, and then the Raiders go down and score. And there you go. It's a one-score game. So, objectively, the best decision he's ever made as a head coach. So, I was excited to see that because that deciding to go for a field goal in the Pittsburgh game was the worst decision he's made as a head coach. But let's be honest, okay, and the people are just letting it, like, jump on. People just want to be reactionaries. Well, first of all, let's take a look at it like this through this perspective alone. No matter what, the best-case scenario for the Raiders, everybody plays up to their potential. They're not winning a Super Bowl. Bilal Nichols is starting at defensive tackle for the Raiders. He's not a starting defensive end. (laughs) He's a defensive end. He's not even defensive tackle. And suddenly, Luke Masterson starting at outside linebacker for the Raiders. This was never going to be a great season. I've seen great improvements. This defense is number 18th. How many times have we seen them 27 and beyond? They're making good strides. Trayvon Morig is making good strides. Nate Hobbs is looking good. He's hurt right now, unfortunately. But there's a lot of guys who I'm seeing a lot of growth from. Tyree Wilson has already looked better. He had a much better game. This is the best game you know, as a Raider against the Chargers. I'm not ready to define everybody, Michael Mayer included, after three, four games into the season. 
Now, it's unfortunate they lost two close games. That's, you know, two games that they could have won in the right circumstances. The one thing I do want to say also about the Chargers game last week, everybody was ripping on Josh McDaniels because he said that Aiden O'Connell had to take better care of the ball. He's throwing the rookie under the bus. The kid had three fumbles and intercepted the ball yeah, at the one-yard line. Throw the ball away. There's no way you can't hold somebody accountable just because they're a rookie. He was the starting quarterback for the on a national football team league. Look at C.J. Stroud. He's not doing that. The fact that we this isn't the national coddling league to say oh well he's just a rookie you know it's, it is what it is he shouldn't have put in that position if this kid's going to start long time in the long term for the Raiders he's going to have to be able to throw the ball at the one yard line and not throw an interception I liked what I saw from him especially in the second half when he really started to wake up but I'm just it's so weird to say that Josh McDaniels was to go up on the podium and say man I love that kid Aiden O'Connell three turnovers it doesn't matter we'll just keep rolling with them no of course he has to hold his players accountable that's got to be frustrating for the defense who played an amazing second half, the best second half of Raiders defensive football that I've seen in probably 20 years. I think they shut them out in the second half. A very good Chargers team. So, you know, again, they lost last week, and I know that's the only thing Raiders fans cares about because they can't actually analyze the game. They only want to see wins and losses. It's all Josh McDaniel's fault that a rookie threw an interception at the goal line. It's a bunch of BS, Brian. I think they're going to win on Monday. I don't think I don't like their long-term prospects this year, but nobody did. This isn't a playoff roster, so why are we suddenly going to get mad when they're not going to make the playoffs? It's ridiculous. I absolutely, I'm still stuck on National Coddling League. Uh, I, I thought that was great. But, Spencer, I, I'm sorry. I, I think you don't throw your rookie quarterback under the bus. You really and view him, that statement that he said, as throwing him under the bus? To a degree, yes. I think I, I don't think it's coddling. You know, I, I don't think you need to coddle him, so to speak. And I definitely think you need to hold him accountable. But, again, this is a guy that most people thought would be on the practice squad at best when he came to camp. Uh, you know, he's, Brian Hoyer was the backup. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, they paid a bunch of money to to bring him over from San Francisco. O'Connell wasn't even a thought. He was drafted, you know, middle rounds. And then, you know, he had a really good camp. And people were like, wow, maybe this guy can be the guy. And it was a perfect opportunity to see. We saw. And, and nobody was overly impressed. It was his first game. And, you know, but again, you don't want to shake his confidence. You know, you threw him, you threw him under the gun. You, you elevated him from the third-string quarterback to the second-string quarterback overnight. Instead of giving Brian Hoyer an opportunity to go in and succeed or fail, a guy that's a veteran, a guy that understands Josh McDaniel, a guy that's played for him before, a guy that's played for everybody before. And again, I wasn't unhappy with the move. I thought, wow, that's kind of ballsy and kind of interesting. But if you're going to do that, support him. He had a bad game. Yes, he put the ball on the ground way too much. Yes, he did not throw the, throw the ball away. But the, every quarterback, just, and I'll say, I won't say everyone, there's been a few, but almost every quarterback in their first start in the NFL is absolutely overwhelmed by the speed of the game. Even You cannot get a concept of the speed of the NFL in the preseason it, because you're not seeing all of the top players play. It is unbelievable. And when you've got guys coming after you with their hair on fire, guys like Bosa, you know, for the Chargers, people, people that that are really, really good. Spencer, it's going to be tough for for a rookie to succeed in in the yes, game. Yes, but let me say this: if if the Raiders played in the Lions division, I might be more apprehensive to what you're saying. But take a look; they played Justin Herbert, 
Patrick Mahomes. And then the Broncos, who are going to tank the rest of the season, they're going to trade half their team. They're either going to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. Those are three top 10 quarterbacks. I mean, I'm saying a rookie is a top 10 quarterback already, but you know what I mean. High potential, and two of them are already top 10 quarterbacks. If you're going to succeed in the AFC West, you have to have a special kind of quarterback. That's what the Raiders need out of Aiden O'Connell. Not an average quarterback. They need a special quarterback. Yeah, I don't think he's the guy. But that's the reality. But but the point is you can't expect that out of him right now. He wasn't expected to see a football field in the National Football League this year. He played well, but he he had a game-ending interception. That's just a matter of fact. Okay, he put the ball on the ground, for God's sakes. You can't keep fumbling the football. You've got to to get a grasp on it. So, you know. But again, I don't think anyone expected him to be the man. I thought it was a ballsy move. I liked the fact that he got the opportunity to play. I really did. I thought, wow, that was pretty cool because all of us thought, well, you not you didn't think it, but I thought for sure he's going to play Brian Hoyer with the relationship that they've had. And the reason he brought him in here was to back up, help mentor you know, O'Connell. But again, I don't see him as the quarterback of the future. I think the Raiders may be in the market for looking for a quarterback next year with what's coming out. And But a lot of guys, Spencer, they don't get the speed. You rarely see a guy come in like Brock Purdy did last year or like Joe Burrow in his first year, or even what C.J. Stroud is doing right now in Houston. You don't see that very often with quarterbacks coming in as a raw rookie. And, and having that kind of success. And I don't think anyone expected anything out of O'Connell. He had a great career at Purdue. I'll give him that. But I did not think he was going to be or even see the football field this year. I thought, yeah, we would see Garoppolo get hurt because Garoppolo gets hurt. But I thought it would be Hoyer that would come in. And like I said, it was the preseason. He impressed everybody in the preseason. That's why he got this opportunity. I think they see that right now the opportunity is a little big for the guy. Luckily, Garoppolo is able to come back. It was only a concussion protocol situation and I think Hoyer is going to be elevated back to number two behind you know behind uh, Garoppolo we'll see but I think this kid needs to learn maybe he'll be better in the future um the Raiders I agree with you this is going to be a long season for the Raiders I don't think they'll tank like you say the Broncos well that's a bold statement uh we'll see what happens in Denver <laughs> that's, that's awful bold Spencer I don't think anyone tanks with four There's games been a news in the report season that they say Essentially, any basically what they said was anybody but Patrick Sertan is tradable on this football team. That's what they came out in week five. So that that tells me that they have a lot of uh, tanking in mind. <laughs> we will see. The, the Raiders play the Packers tomorrow night, Monday Night Football. They got a couple of Monday Night games. I'm going to be at one. I'm going to be at two of them. Matter of fact, I'll be at both of the ones they play this year. The one on Monday night, and then I'll be in Detroit on the on the 30th of this month to see them play the Lions. But um. It's going to be an interesting game with the Packers, especially with Rich Bisacci on the sideline over there. Devontae Adams going up against his former team. He'll be motivated for that, although they definitely didn't run him out of town. He took the money and ran himself. But in the same respect, uh, both you know you always play well when you play your formal team. Guys, going to going to into the league this year, and what's going you know. Um, some of the games that that are happening obviously right now we've got uh, Jacksonville and let me uh, let me uh, refresh that because uh, we we don't have the NFL network in here anymore and we can't see that game but what i can tell you is right now Jacksonville is still up 11 to 7 they scored the first 11 points of the game it looks like the bills have come back and there's about five and a half minutes to go in the third quarter in that game. Uh, the only other game so far this week, and the Bears and the Commanders, and after getting beaten by the Broncos a week ago, 
the Bears won a pretty handily over a commander's team that people think is much improved and can play well. So that's why I laughed at the Broncos tanking. The Broncos beat this Bears team, and uh, the Bears can beat somebody else. So I, I still think you try. You've got to win under your belt. We'll see. But uh, some interesting games this week. Uh, one of the ones that surprises me, the Titans and the Colts, I'm surprised that the Titans are favored by a couple of points in Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor uh, got his money finally. I, he'll, he should be in uniform today for that game. So I was a little surprised with that, that looking at that one there. Uh, games that are going to be probably the most interesting games today that I think is, you know, Eagles-Rams should be a really interesting game today. We're going to get to see who the Rams are. They get Cooper Cup back. Now the Rams have like two all-pro receivers. That is going to be, a, I mean, Matthew Stafford has to be licking his chops. That's what you look for as a quarterback to have two guys like the Rams have right now once they get Cooper Cup back. Another interesting game to me is the Chiefs-Vikings. And the reason that that game's interesting is in the last two days, the the spread has dropped by two points for the Vikings. Why is that? What is the cause of the Vikings giving less or getting less points now from the Chiefs? Something doesn't smell What's the right line there. right now? I, I think it went down to like three and a half or something like that. And it was up at around five and a half. I'll take a look in a minute. But um, that, that surprised me a little bit. You know, again, when you see something like that happen, somebody knows something. I don't know what they know. I just think the Chiefs have looked very vulnerable. I, mean, I think that's what the line the of the Vikings I think those have are the lines beaten, of the Chiefs, you know, the are Vikings have beaten to. the Carolina Panthers. That's it. This is a really bad football team. They were a house of cards last year when they won twelve games. I've always said that. And, you know, defensively they're challenged. They've got the best receiver in football, probably in Justin Jefferson. Kirk Cousins can get the job done. An okay running game. They've got a pretty good tight end in Hawkinson, but this is a team that should struggle this year, along with all of the other teams in the NFC North besides the Detroit Lions. Yeah, but the Chiefs have struggled. I mean, look at last week. Patrick Mahomes got outdueled by Zach Wilson. I mean, the Jets had that game. I thought they were going to win it. And just looking back at all the games this season, without Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensively have looked very different. I don't think it's going to be as bad as their 2012 season where our wide receiver on the Chiefs scored a no touchdown the entire season. It's not that extreme, but take a look at their weapons. I mean, it's kind of just like Rasheed Rice, okay, like maybe. Is he the best guy on their team? I mean... I, that sounds crazy to say, but it might be true. It's Travis Kelsey. I think they're double-teaming him more. When you don't have an offensive mind like Eric Bieniemy, take a look at that Commanders game. There's only a few plays that were the difference in that one. Sam Howell misses that you know long bomb touchdown. We could be talking about a different outcome in yeah. that one. Now, it's easier to score points when you have Patrick Mahomes at the helm than you do Sam Howell. So I think that's what you're seeing a lot right now. I'm. I think a lot of people are losing confidence in the Chiefs as the you know as the days and the weeks go on. Biggest game of the game, to, the biggest day, game of the day today, biggest game of the weekend, obviously, is the Dallas Cowboys at San Francisco, an old rival dating back to the famous catch in the NFC Championship game back in 1981. This is always a great rivalry, and it's cool to see both these teams really good again. And when I say that, I mean, if you're a Dallas fan, you're a Dallas fan, you either love them or hate them. I'm on the side of hating them. But I, I, I always respect seeing them good. And uh, this should be a hell of a game. It's up in San Francisco. Dallas is geared up for the game. The line is is reasonable. Um, this is, you know, and the one thing with this, this, this rivalry, what's crazy is Dallas... Um, seems to play well against San Francisco in the regular season, but in the postseason, it's a whole different story. Um, what do you think about this game today? Dak Prescott going up 
arguably the best defense in the NFL when healthy and when playing great. I mean, you know, Bosa, Warner, this is as good of a defense as you have in the National Football League. And um, and yet you've got a Dallas Cowboys offense that's also pretty efficient and can get the job done. And Dallas's defense um, may, may be the best part of their team this year. Yeah, it, it's so funny. Like when I watch Brock Purdy, and maybe I'm in the minority at this point, but every time I watch him play, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's just like I it's the stigmatism of the seventh round pick. And I'll, I'll say that's my bias. You're just like, there's no way that this guy is so good that he's just going to keep and pick up where he left off. You almost thought like, oh, last year he's completely out of nowhere. Nobody on the planet game plan for him. And that was a part of their success. But he's going back and doing it again. Now, a lot of people criticize him and say, oh, it's because of the screen pass. Whatever the case may be, and people who say are against system players are some of the worst like sports opinions in, like ever in my mind. This guy runs the offense how he needs to. He has an offensive mastermind in Kyle Shanahan, and he runs it to perfection almost. So I, I don't really understand that problem of it. But I don't know. I just when it comes to this game, I just don't trust Dak Prescott. He reminds me of Derek Carr in so many different ways. Once you get close to the twenty yard line, when you're in the red zone, Dak Prescott when the short when the field just gets a lot tighter. He's just so bad, and I think that could be the difference in this game. A couple of red zone trips ends up in, you know, like a field goal or maybe even interception. These are the things that have kept the Cowboys away from deep playoff runs, by the way. It's been Dak Prescott almost every time, I feel like. Well, we're on the same page with one thing. I think Dak Prescott's an overrated quarterback. He's another quarterback like Tony Romo, a guy that can play well at times, get him to the playoffs and not win. They did win a playoff game last year with Dak Prescott, but they played a really bad Giants team, so it's not too hard to win when you're playing a team much worse the Giants team that overachieved last year. Um, I think San Francisco should win this game handily. A lot of people are saying this is going to be a great game. It's set up to be that way. A lot of times when you have expectations like that, man, you get let down. Um, I think San Francisco wins this game by 10-plus points. Um, I really do. I think that it's going to be awful tough up there in the Bay for Dallas. And, uh, you know, not that Dallas is a house of cards. I think they're one of the best teams in the, in the NFC and one of the you know upper echelon teams in the NFL this year. I don't think Dallas wins the Super Bowl, and I agree with you, Spencer. I think Dak Prescott. I'm not going to say he's a problem. I mean, he's definitely a starting quarterback in the National Football League, but I don't think he's a guy um, without a really, really, really good supporting cast around him. I don't know that he's a guy that's going to take Dallas to the promised land. Is the scooper on with us? We might let's let's bring the scooper in. Uh, finally, we've got we've got a little bit of time today. Um, I was going to say with last week, and let me take a look at all of our results. Spencer's trying to prove me wrong here because he thinks he he won a game that he didn't, but I'm going to give the results that I have, and it's Spencer can prove me wrong. I will next week. And he's going to prove me wrong. He's going to go and listen to the old shows. But right now what I have is Magnum is on fire. He has won three weeks in a row after me and him both took a loss in the first week. Matter of fact, all three of the guys in here took a loss. Scooper was the only one with the win. And by the way, you can follow Scoop at, at AJ underscore Scoop and, uh, and get his picks. The guy really does his research and a lot of homework, and he's under a challenge this year. I told him if he, he's got to beat us all, he'll get lunch from all of us, and he comes back next year to do it all over again. But Magnum won last week. He's 3-1 and one on the season. He took the Cowboys, um, gave, gave away 6.5 points to New England and that won that game easily. I uh, did not know Deshaun Watson wasn't going to be playing when we did the show last week or I wouldn't have taken the Browns, but I did. Minus two over Baltimore, real bad pick, and I'm two and two because of that. The scooper went with New Orleans, uh, minus three, which I actually thought was a good good pick, hosting Tampa Bay, and the Bucks got the best of them and actually won the game outright. And then, of course, the Wiz. Uh, I have him getting off the snide and winning his first game. He says it's his second, but I have his first game. He took the Broncos last week at Chicago, the team he said 
saying is tanking. He took and gave up three points to the Bears and won that game handily as uh, as they they won pretty big time. Um, Bears have played another game since then and got to win themselves. But that's where we're at right now. We always let the scooper start because we are not allowed to pick the same game as him. I know the game he's picking, but I'll let him go ahead and take the stage. You got give us your pick, scooper. Coming to you here live from uh, Lake Tahoe. We're going with uh, the game you were just talking about. Dallas Cowboys plus the points. I think it's the opposite. I think they win handily. Dak Prescott in a statement spot. Offensive line's healthy for this year. And the second year for San Francisco, some hold. Having a little bit of technical difficulty. Well, I know he got the Cowboys. Well, yeah, that's the main yeah. thing. He's got the Cowboys. <laughs> and he likes the offensive line. They're healthy and... You know, I think he was saying that San Francisco really hasn't hasn't played anyone. So, well, you know, that, and, and Chris, that that maybe is the reason they're only giving three and a half points to the Cowboys at home when they are supposed to be basically a defensive juggernaut in the National Football League this year. And uh, on top of that, Brock Purdy is healthy. He's he's played decently, played within himself, and he's a great game manager. I mean, Mister Irrelevant. So that's it. He's taking the Dallas Cowboys. I'll give you my pick right now. I am going to. Uh, uh, oh man, I had my pick earlier. Go ahead, Chris. I'll let you All pick right. it. Well, this is more a bet against the Eagles than it is a bet on the Rams. I think they're a home dog, the Rams are, to the Eagles. Um, look, Philadelphia has not been impressive. They've got to travel cross country. The Rams, as you mentioned, getting Cooper Cup back. I like them at home. And look, I think they're better than, than we anticipated. I think we thought they weren't going to be very good. And, you know, Sean McVay, really good coach, obviously. I just think at home, it's hard to say no to that. You know, I, I see, I see where you're going with it, and I and I I like it to a degree. The Rams, especially, I think Cooper, they win the game outright. Especially getting Cooper Cup back, they're at home. I mean, that that alone bodes well, and they're going to be a home underdog. That's not a un- bad underdog take. I'm going to tell you my pick right now. I am going to go. I told you I was a bit surprised with the Colts. They are uh, getting two and a half points. They are at home, and they're getting back Jonathan Taylor. To me, I think the Colts win this game against Tennessee. Plus, I can never bet on Ryan Tannehill. Never. Spencer, who are you taking? I'm going to regret this, I know for a fact, but I'm going to take the Jets over the Broncos. I really, truly believe... No, Jets are going to win that game. I think the Broncos stink really that badly. Spencer's got the Jets and UNLV off this week. They are in Reno on Saturday. We'll talk all about that next week. More Aces, more Vegas Golden Knights. That's it. I'm Brian Feldman. This is Out of Line. We are here on Fox Sports Radio every Sunday, 8 to 9 o'clock. And once again, brought to you by new title sponsor, Luminate Home Loans. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.